Hi, everyone, and welcome again to another episode of Is It My Turn? Uh, I am sitting around the table once again with Alice and Nick, and we're here today to talk about Rise of Tribes. Now, very quickly, this is technically the second time we are recording this episode because last time around things went a little bit screwy and nothing really quite worked as we were hoping. So uh, we apologize if we will bring up the fact that, that this is the second time around, I have no doubt. Uh, the other thing that I have to call out is that during the course of this particular episode, I'm going to be trying to avoid a particular word. Um, for any Top Gear fans out there, years ago there was a, an episode where James May was driving an Alfa Romeo and he wasn't allowed to say the word passion. And every time he did, he had to put a dollar in a swear jar. I am not allowed to use the word elegant when talking about this game. I love it a little bit too much. I apologize. Bear with me. I think I'm going to be okay, but we'll give it a try. Now, Rise of Tribes is a prehistoric themed area control game for two to four players. It was designed by Brad Brooks published by Breaking Games. Each player controls the fate of a nomadic tribe as it spreads across the game's modular island. And dice rolls affect the player's seasons, influence their choice of actions, and trigger events that can help or hinder them. Tribes occupy spaces and gather resources they need to build villages, make advancements, and drive their progress to the end of the victory point track. Guys, so let's kick things off with design and Alice, you're up first. The design of this game, and I think this is something that has been mentioned by every review I've read and uh, certainly by us in the first time that we recorded <laughs> this podcast. Unfortunately, this is our second take. We had some technical issues. There were gremlins in the works. Uh, which made it unlistenable. Um, the design of this game is is truly excellent on a number of levels. Mm. The dice rolling element of this game, it, it's one of the two main ways in which randomness are introduced into this game. So you get randomness because one of the things you can do is draw goals and they give you direction and you can build things and you can get your victory points for doing certain things. And obviously they come in a stack and you draw them randomly, even though there's a small number of them and you know vaguely which what's coming but not in what order. But the other random element is that there are four different actions that you can take in your turn. You take two of them. So the four actions are grow, i.e. put meeples on the board, move, i.e. move your meeples around the board, uh, gather, i.e. gather resources based on where your meeples are on the board, or... <laughs> <laughs> do something that has nothing to do with the board, which is? Uh, lead, <laughs> which is to draw those goal cards uh, and be able to build things and earn victory points. And because you're limited in where you can put those, you have to make strategic choices. And obviously we'll talk about that more in, in strategy and tactics. The way in which you use and deploy those dice is certainly a mechanic that I have never seen in a game before. And I'm pretty sure it's a unique 
mechanic. Yeah, I've never come across it. Likewise. Either. Yeah. yeah. I, if, 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 if anyone out there listening has come across others, let us know. I'd be really interested. But. Certainly none of the reviews that I've read of it, none of the reviewers who have played a lot more games than I have have ever encountered a mechanic like it. And it's extremely clever because each of those options um, – for an action has uh, three dice faces showing on it and the way in which you place the dice that you've just rolled is to pick one of those actions and you basically slot your dice face in at the left-hand side and push the rightmost dice out, die out, uh, which creates a set of three die which then tells you how much of whatever it is you're doing you're allowed to do. And... The interaction with the previous dice and the effect that your choice has on the people downstream of you is an incredibly dynamic and um, subtle mechanic and way of interacting with the randomness, way of both mitigating the randomness and, and also smoothing the randomness because, of course, if you're... Will Wheaton, um, you roll the worst possible <laughs> dice roll every single time you roll the die. Um, this actually is a way of mitigating that um, and, and spreading it around and using your bad roll to have an impact on people downstream of you. And, and that mechanic is incredible. Yeah. It, it, creates, it creates a wonderful shared economy. Mm. Yeah, uh, you, literally, as you were talking about it, yeah, that, that notion of if you're rolling something bad, someone else is going to have to share in that problem down mm. the track. Yes, it's going to affect your immediate choice of actions right now, absolutely, but the person after you is going to be impacted and more than likely if you've really clogged up the board, which is the sort of thing that we'll talk about, it's going to impact not just you and not just the next person but it's probably going to come all the way back around to you again. It creates such an interesting dynamic. And, it, yeah, I, I really like the way that it limits chance so cleverly. Um, a lot of people like to complain about the difference between, say, skill and, and luck, and I think that's a really foolish dichotomy. It makes no sense, like a lot of dichotomies. Well, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I, I mean people on, on Board Game Geek or similar who will – talk about how a game is all luck or all skill and uh, and they seem to want to live only in this bizarre distinction between Monopoly on the one hand and Go on the other hand. Um, I think there's a difference between thinking that, it, that your skill is the difference and, and thinking that mitigating luck is also a skill. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think I think you're perfectly fine, Mal, with mitigating luck. Um, you're the, fine with except, risk in a game. Right, right <laughs> up until the point it's time, yeah, it's rum and bones and I'm rolling nine dice and I can't actually roll over ten. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that's also just... That's, that's all, the Will Wheaton problem. Yeah, it's also just that's the classic Ameritrash game, right? Like, yeah. oh, I've got five billion bits of plastic and I'm rolling four million dice and, yeah. oh, i got nothing but ones. You yeah. know, that, this game does everything it can, I think, to, to give you the tools to mitigate chance Yeah, because you can feed your really terrible results in into the board in such a way that even if you can't benefit from your turn, no one else can benefit from their turns yeah. either. And that's it. I'm not even sure that, that if, if, if mitigate is the right route. I, I think it is this idea of spreading it. Yeah. Like if you've had bad luck, next person in line is going to cop it too. Yeah. Sorry. And, of course, the other thing to, to bear in mind is that you're not only 
sharing your bad luck, you share your good luck as well. Yeah. 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 And yeah. that's another that's, thing to, yeah, that, that you have to take into community. account because if there are three sons on or even, you know, two sons and one something else mm. and sons being the good and blank being the neutral and moon being the bad, you if there are two sons at the beginning of that track, the next person will get the best possible result. Mm-hmm. Because no matter what they put on, there are still two sun faces showing. So you always have to be aware of I might want to get the benefit, but do I want to give the next person that benefit as well? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I know, for me, if you wanted wanted to know what I thought of this game in a word, the word I would choose is coherent. The game is coherent all the way through from the top to the bottom. So that that idea of like spreading the good luck spreading the bad luck and and communal luck is no different to the to the way the game fundamentally punishes a kind of uh, combat centric game like a combat centric strategy I, I really appreciate as a wargamer from years back the way that this and a number of other games we've played recently actually but specifically this one make battles incredibly painful for the attacker um, you can put an enormous quantity of people into a space just to knock your opponent out of that space. And it'll for everything it costs them, it costs you as well. So you can waste whole turns just knocking somebody off a space and it, it often makes it not worth it. You've got to be incredibly clever about the way you do it. The same way you've got to be clever about how you use your suns and your moons to prevent or to, or to at least mitigate uh, other people taking your good luck along with you. Um, and, it, yeah, to me that's all the way down. It's, it's, it's coherent, a really, really tremendously coherent design. Uh, and incredibly impressive, uh, and and I, I mean even the the tiny quirks that I don't love about the game can't take away from that coherence, and they're mostly just you know strange edge cases and the rules more than anything else, you know the the kind of interactions between particular combinations of cards, um, you know if the event hits if the event hits you and you've got a different event already in play, how do those two events interact? Um, or, you know, just funny little rules like the one that, that I'm pretty sure everyone uses this shorthand. One of the rules is when you build a village, it just sits in the space. But, of course, as soon as all your guys are dead, your village disappears. And the rules don't say put a man on the village. In fact, the rules have this image that doesn't have a man on the village. And, and I'm pretty sure everybody is going to put a man on the village since yep. villagers can't swap hands and, and the last guy being moved destroys the village. Why wouldn't you put a man on the village? So again, for me, like all the little quirks in the games are things like that. They're missed rules or rules that aren't quite written as as well as they could be, edge cases and the interactions between some of the cards. Other than that, the game is frighteningly coherent and absolutely fantastic in terms of this design. So leading question, what do you guys think about the pacing? It'll and I know it'll come up in, in other elements, but in terms of um, how the, the game plays out as a in terms of pace. I think it's perfect. I think, yeah, I yeah. think it. I think it. It. It's not. It doesn't always play at the same pace from game to game because mm. of the impact of the dice rolls and the impact of the cards you draw. But I don't think that's ever. Yep. It doesn't ever feel like an issue. It. It certainly doesn't ever feel like there are, like whole rounds where, you know, sort of dead rounds no. or dead turns yeah. or there's always something you can always do something you're always moving forward yeah. i think very now that we've played it probably 15 times i don't think there's ever a point that we never go through a round without scoring a point whether it's building a village or make or building a goal card we never fail to get points which except maybe in the first round maybe yeah. um but look i've played a lot of games that drag on 
um, where it's pretty clear who's going to win, but you have to grind down to the wire. I mean, the classic version of that game is Risk, which can go on for five hours beyond its natural endpoint. Um, I've also played loads. Five of- hours beyond beyond anyone actually caring anymore. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a great game to win while losing friends. Um, <laughs> But then I've played loads of games that feel like they're over slightly too early. Almost every engine builder and almost every deck builder is like this where you get the last pieces in place and that is the thing that ends the game. Um, it's almost like every game is Tetris. You get the stick down the side and everything vanishes. Yeah. And you're like, but, 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 oh, fine. But no, I wanted the stick. Yeah, I, w- I was trying to build a wall here. <laughs> like, um, the, yeah, the, you know, I'm thinking Dominion. I'm thinking Race for the Galaxy. A lot of those engine builder deck builders, you get to the end and you're like, but I was just getting started. This game yeah. does not feel like that. No. This game feels like a race to the finish. Look, it's interesting. So the reason I ask is, is the last few times I've played it, I've felt like there's this, there's almost sort of three acts mm. to this to this game in terms of the pacing. Those first couple of rounds where you might pick up a point or two, you, know, you get one objective or, or achievement, more likely, sorry, um, of the technology things. Yeah, development. The, yes, yeah. yeah, you're more likely, like you can get an early development or you might have done really well, you get a village, so second round, you're starting to clock up points. Um, and so there's a lot of that that positioning in early game, mm. mid game, it's taking advantage. And then once people are hitting 10 points, it's this search, how can I hit like my five or six points to get to the end? Like I've set up a whole bunch of things how do I launch from here to that end point? Um, and I've, I've found that pacing really interesting. Like I, I, I actually quite enjoy it. Mm. I find it quite satisfying because mm. it, it's, it, look, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a three act structure. I've got, I've got no problem with, with recognising that there's a three-act structure going on. Well, it's interesting because it just reminded me of a 100-metre race. Huh. So you've got coming out the starting gun and coming out of the blocks, which is not really running. It's pushing yourself up off the ground and getting your feet underneath you and starting to pick up speed. You have the middle section of the race where everyone's running flat out and jockeying for position. And then you have the end of the race, which is that I've got so much energy left. How can I fling myself at the finish line as fast as humanly possible and try and get some part of my body across the line before somebody else does. Yeah, it feels like a sprint to me too. Yeah. Um, well, and again, yeah. given, you know, the, the duration of the game, right? You know, it, it's, it's not a long game. No. Um, you know, it's first, first to 15 victory points. It feels like it's all, and and also, you know, a suggested play time of 30 to 45 minutes. Ah, uh, yes, victory points, the time-honoured currency of every ancient civilization. Uh, yes, <laughs> it, it, yes. Uh, look, I think it's even kind of written into the rules. They, yeah. they need what every prehistoric nomadic tribe needs, 15 victory points. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what they found in the tomb of Tutankhamun, isn't it? <laughs> Just a pile of victory points for the afterlife. <laughs> seems, seems like it. Yeah. Um, speaking of, of ancient races, um, I have to say that I think the theme of this game is one of the best deployed sort of immersive themes, everything about the, the artwork and the resources and, and the, the fl- as we're talking about the pace, the pace and flow of the game. Yes, it's, it's first to 15 victory points, but there isn't a limit on on turns and the timing feels much more natural. 
Yeah, it's so often a kludge game designers try to do, isn't it, where they, they, they know the game's got to end somehow so they put some really artificial way of, you know, uh, you know, oh, you only get six turns or you only get eight turns or you play till this thing runs out. I mean, there's something quite neat about a game that it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't feel to me like the 15 victory points was set as an arbitrary limit to stop. It feels like the game has about 15 victory points in it and you play till you, you hit them. So You're it's the all, first yeah, person to get them. Yeah, rather than... Rather than you know, you could play to easily play to 30. I think if you tried to play the game to 30, it'd feel incredibly long in the tooth and very boring. So moving on to uh, balance. Nick, why don't you lead us off? Yeah, look, I think in terms of balance, this is a really interesting game. Uh, one of the things we've talked about in previous episodes is the question of balance between what? Yeah. Uh, this game, in a way, it's perfectly balanced because everyone gets the same stuff. Uh, every every single game, you start with the same gold deck, start with the same number of troops. You know, start with everything, pretty much the same, unless you use those. Um, now, are they leaders, chieftains, or what are the uh, the the tribal elders? Yes, yeah, so the tribal the, elders. The, the chieftain is an event. The yeah. elders are something different. Yeah, right. The so leaders are something different, and the elders. There's are... the leader powers, right. yeah, and then there's the, the elder, which is the larger maple. Yeah. So right. unless you use the the hang leader, on, powers. leader powers. There we yep. go. We yep. got it. Yep. Third time's a charm. Unless you use those, everyone's on exactly the same playing field. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in a way, I don't think, I don't think there's much to be said about the balance from that. The balance really just comes from those kinds of card interactions. So the, the question I think is, are some of the goal cards more powerful than others? But they seem to me to be fastidiously well balanced. Um, I'm thinking, you know, there's one goal card for occupying each. Now, what is it? There's one gold card for occupying each type of terrain. So there's one for three mountains, uh, one for yeah, three. Yeah, majority, majority in each type. Yeah. And then yeah. there's one, then there's occupying five continuous, occupying eight different hexes. Yeah. So there's a balance between the more it's asking you to, to, to have a meeple on. And the more points you get for it. Yeah, but the yeah. fewer, like, you, you get to occupy rather than have yes. to have majority. Yeah, yeah. So, that's that level of control element. Yeah. And there's something kind of cool, I think, about the way the game's got those levels built into it, those gradations. So the gradation of occupy, control, majority, which I might have got backwards. No, yeah. Occupy, occupy is, is anything. Lo- yeah. O- occupy is anything regardless. Majority is share it, but you've got most. Control is you are the only tribe in there. That's right. So because they've got those gradations, they can and they've also got multiple different kinds of terrain, they can build those into the into the cards. And I actually think they're all pretty I think they are really balanced very well. They're all they all have um, they all have points uh, bonuses that are roughly equivalent to how hard they are to do. I don't think any of us have ever built all twenty of our tribe members. Maybe you've done it once. I've done it Mel. once, yeah. and I've seen one other person do it once, and it's hard. It's really hard, and it's also the one you get the most points for. I That's right. Think four points. Yep. Yeah. So yep. I don't I mean, know because four points is, is it's nearly a third of what you require. Yeah. I mean, if you've scored four points. If you were trailing, suddenly you're you're, mm. you're equal. Mm. If you're already in the lead, you've literally just made an unassailable yeah. lead. No one's going to catch you if you suddenly surge four points ahead. Yeah. It's just so With tough. one card, given With that you card, can right? score multiple sort of point, sets of points. Yeah, that's true, in, actually. In one turn. Yeah. yeah. So given that you can, you know, score multiple goals in a turn and get points for um, villagers. Mm. Mm. So yeah. I think Alice, you've mentioned before you've had a question about the 
the powers, the leader powers and their balance. Yeah, it's so interesting because I think we have mentioned on social media and possibly um, elsewhere that this is our second recording of this um, episode and as we were listening to it or as I was listening to it again to remind myself of what we had said earlier, that discussion had come up and as we were discussing it during that previous recording, I think I've changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's, a, I, that's good. I mean, yeah. so talk us through that. I'm well, interested. I think because you, Nick, came up with a, a counter-argument to what I was saying, which was that most of the uh, leader powers affect don't have a direct impact on the other players and there are only a couple that actually have a direct impact. Yeah, there's one that's steal. I think there's one that yeah, steals so one, people. Yeah, so the one that the one you that had. brutally against that's right. me. That yeah, would, yeah. Oh, and me in the game that we played immediately before recording yes. the previous yeah, thing where um, where <laughs> you kept you, – you can convert somebody else's yeah. meeple who is occupying the same – You pay them same, resources. You pay them resources. You convert one of their meeples yeah. to one of your meeples. Yeah. So it's a it's a much more direct impact than say occupying the same hex as them, and when they gather resources, you get a mm. single resource. Mm. So I, I had initially thought that they were were unbalanced, but I think that Nick, your argument that in actual fact, when you look at the broader impact mm. of of that, it's actually relatively similar they're actually quite balanced because of well the kind of scale of the effects yeah, yeah and and that it actually is and i think as i i realized it as we were playing tonight is that it is actually relatively easy to get meet your meeples back on the board yeah, yeah you just have to make a decision that that's one of the two moves you make and it depends on how many you get but you're making a similar decision in terms of whether you gather or not. So I actually don't think that they're particularly um, unbalanced. Um, so while I'm very excited to hear that my powers of persuasion worked on you, <laughs> I'd also say I wouldn't I wouldn't listen to anything I said that day because I was just grumpy because my team lost the football. <laughs> <laughs> but I think so... I remember the first time that that particular leader power was was used on me, and it was it's it was horrible. It's um, annoying, right? Just, it's, it's, yeah. it's annoying. But, <laughs> it's deeply frustrating. Yeah, the issue is not at, at the time. Well, I think we had the, the conversation immediately afterwards as well. At the time, I thought that power is incredibly op. Yeah, it's over the top. And then we talked it through, and I went actually. It's not that the power's OP, it's that I didn't change my tactic to use mm. the resources that mm. you were feeding me. Yeah, Like yeah. you just kept handing me things and all I could have gone is like, all right, I've still got people on the board. Why don't I just use those resources to not have to gather anything? And, oh, I'll lead and, hey, look, I've got mm. resources that you've given me that can pay for the cards, right? As long as I was going for developments rather than achievements. Yeah. It comes down to how you adapt yeah. a strategy around what someone else is doing to you. In, in that scenario when that is directly affecting you. Mm. I agree that, that the first time you experience it is so in your face because it is the only facet of the game other than conflicts. And as we've kind of talked about in the past, 
and as we'll probably talk about again in a moment, conflict in this game is not necessarily in your best interests. Mm. It's very rare that you can use conflict effectively. Yeah, you've got to plan for it really You've carefully. really got to be very careful when you use conflict. So that particular leader power is the is the only real take that yeah. element of the game. It and also, because it, it it because it feels so out of place. Yeah. And because it because it has that, sorry, because it has that feel, because it is the only take that, it feels out of place. And it feels harsher than it is if you're willing to then go, you know what? I see what they're doing. Mm. I can either move, like, sure, have that space. Yeah. Or I can use the resources that you're feeding me. It like, also no it also cuts to I think cuts to the quick for us because we're not a very take that group. And so I think I think one one if there's one tactic in a game that means you can just go, that's mine now. I'll take it. Thanks. That's mine. Um, it's bloody annoying because we don't normally play like that. It's not the way. You know, yeah. I mean, we, when we play Everdell, we don't tend to play the fool on anyone except the person who's about to win. Um, you know, when we're playing, it took us a long time to get into the ruthlessness of Root for that reason. We're just, and we play a lot of cooperative games. We're just not very nasty. Yeah, we just don't tend to play those sort of games yeah. full stop. So. And I was just in a mood because the Bulldogs lost. We've talked about this. Yes. <laughs> and also, sorry if you were hoping to get more take that games out of us. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to them, but they're not going to be that frequent. <laughs> So I think that leads us on pretty clearly to strategy. I'm, I'm kind of happy to, to lead off. I think, Nick, you tried a particular strategy tonight for mm. the first time. It's mm. one that I've used and won, but yeah. it's difficult. And, and, and at the heart of this game, there appears to be a choice around, am I going to build villages? Am I going to go for achievements and developments? Mm. Or am I going to do a combination of the two? And where am I sitting yeah. Where am I? Where am I sliding the scales to? And like, is, mean, yeah. is, is it a village push with a couple of yeah. with a couple of developments, or is it development heavy? And look, I'll just get a village so I can change some stuff through. I'm increasingly thinking, after my experience today, it's always a mix, and I think the game's built to always be a mix because I've certainly won with village only. Yeah. Um, and I I remember the game you won with developments only, but it's so not easy. And it's no. actually it's actually harder to win that way. You're really hamstringing yourself. I think yeah, I think you're hamstringing yourself in either scenario because if you've gone for a village portion, people see that they see yeah. that you're not getting development cards, yeah. Yeah. then they're going to go after your villages. Yeah. So exactly. congratulations, you've built up three. Rather than let you just have mm. three points at the beginning of next turn, let's bump his villages off the off the table or her. Yeah, villages. and 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 there's something yeah, there's something in the synergy between. The villages and the development cards, because once you've got a village, as we all discovered, but I tried to do this without a village. <laughs> when we've got, when you've got a village, you can cycle your development cards, which or your goal cards, whatever they're called. Um, you can cycle them, which makes your developments faster, and that I think is really, I think that's a clever way to hook the two strategies together, and. Again, we've just been talking about balance. Another type of balance is balance between available strategies. And in this game, there is very, the available strategies are incredibly carefully balanced. I think that's really cool. I agree with everything that you've just said. In terms of strategy and tactics, I think the most interesting part of the game for me, and it's, it's an element that we, we touched on in the design, is the... Uh, 
use of dice and the decisions that have to be made around dice. Mm. Yes. So what's so interesting is that um, so of the four different actions, you pick two to do each turn. You roll dice and you have to make a decision as to where you're going to spend those two dice based on the fact that your ultimate the ultimate result of that decision is a combination of the dice you just rolled and two dice that are already sitting on the table having been placed there by other players mm. in like, the full yeah. knowledge that the dice that you put there will then be used by the next two players downstream from you in the game. Yeah. So you have this – it's a very interesting uh, decision to make whether – you can just do have a solitaire mindset and go, I'm just going to do the thing that's best for me. But I think as we found in Azul, um, if you don't take into account the effect that your decisions have on players downstream, mm. you will make your life harder and you will not play the game as well as you possibly can. And there's also a great, in the dice, there's a great collaborative game unfolding that's it's very unthought. No one really does it on purpose but you can feed a couple of suns into like you might get a run on gather suns and gather and and it'll have three suns in it and every time someone gets a sun they push a sun into that conveyor belt and they just keep gathering enormous amounts of material but maybe somehow there's two moons in in or three moons in move and no one moves and so there's this what i find really interesting is this feedback loops almost sort of seasonal feedback loops although yeah, yeah that they Maybe they're not quite seasonal because it's suns up, suns down, but you know what I mean. It's, well, yeah. I, I still think that, that they're representative of, of seasons. Yeah. Good seasons and bad seasons. Well, you gather, yeah, gather in summer and, yeah. Anyway, the uh, what I like about it is you can, you, can, you can deliberately or accidentally clag up one of these conveyor belts with moons and it turns, turns it into this really hard to, hard to move or hard to gather or hard to um, get goals kind of game. So there is this beautiful group push and pull throughout the game that you can tactically manipulate or you can find yourself accidentally or deliberately tactically screwed by. And that's, that's, that's another fun place, I think, that, that there's that tactical interaction between players. Um, I think this, this game absolutely belongs... It's very, very modern. It belongs in a very modern category of games where you're expected not to produce a strategy but instead to have a hunch about a direction and you just kind of move in that direction and then something happens so you change the direction. But, you know, your your decision tree is narrowing the whole time that you're going and you're trying to adapt to changes in gameplay. Um, Mal pointed this out before when he talked about uh, the idea of when I was giving you resources and yeah. you and taking your workers and you were getting angry rather than just going, well, I'll just use the resources. Um, and I think I've talked about it before as adaptive directional tactics. Like you, 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 on turn one, you're like northeast, south or west, and then slowly you you might have to go, you know, east northeast, and then you know you just slowly eventually choose one compass direction right at the end that you that gets you over the line but you don't know which one it's going to be right at the beginning and you have to set yourself up to take advantage of that i think um and this game's definitely true what what you know what cards come out how am i going to use the cards if i get nothing but the brown cards they're about where my men are that's very different to if i get a whole pile of blue cards that i can buy with with uh, resources but if I only get the blue cards that deal with attacking and defending that's not as good for me if I as if I get the horse and cart or the oxen yeah you know? so 
the game suggests tactics to you as you play it and you need to be able to take advantage of those. I think you, you kind of hit on one of the elements that I love about it as well. So when we first started playing this game, we were, we were impressed by, how, by, by the, the depth mm. of the strategy. Um, and the more I play it, uh, and when we when we did the first recording, and I'm I'm, I'm changing my opinion again. I was mm. like, it is so deep. It isn't deep, <laughs> but it is so variable. Yes, and yeah. I think that's what I what I enjoy about it. At no point in time do I feel like I've played the same game over and over no. and over again, no. whilst I have still played the same game over and over and over again. There's always yeah. these subtle elements. You were talking, Alice, about the issue of feeding. Uh, feeding suns into something, feeding moons into other, and the impact that that has, so like that, that upstream, downstream, mm. taking into account what you were talking about just a moment ago with the different types of goal cards, mm. when the two of those are working together, mm. like when, when the two of those are, are synergizing naturally, the game moves very rapidly. Yeah. When the two of those are at odds, when there's a whole bunch of moons clogging up, gather yeah. um so that but everyone has blue cards showing that's right yeah. all of a sudden we end up with this slow grinding game and it's mm. it's okay how do i find an advantage over everyone else in this situation mm. it's really those sort of little subtle interplays around that adaptation i find really enjoyable uh, actually that brings up in my head, a, a very interesting point, which is, uh, and I think I got this from a review, someone was saying that one of the things I really like about this game is that it's a race. Mm. So it's yeah. a race to points to the end. Mm. But it can be a sprint or a marathon yeah. depending entirely on what Malcolm just said, yeah. depending entirely on whether you get that that synergy and that flow between what you need and what you can get out of your actions and if you can't get those things out of the actions then what do you do and of course that will then impact on the decisions that you make because if somebody else has managed to get a flow going you have to figure out how you can stick a wrench in you know their spokes yeah interrupt them if possible exactly one of the things i kind of like about it and i tried this on you on you in the game we just played and it didn't work and it never works i've never made it work you actually can't stop someone winning you can only win yourself like maybe maybe once Every three or four games, you can, as you say, put a, put a wrench in the spokes. But it's pretty rare. Most of the time, it's most of the time it's looking at a development card they've got up and going, "Well, I'll, I'll just move my dudes around so that it's really costly for you to get majority." But actually, I spent all that time eliminating that that uh, village of yours and all my men eliminating that village of yours, thinking, "Well, that gives me a turn to win." And Mal won on the very next turn. So, um, you know, one of the things I was I've, kind of hoping you wouldn't notice that yeah. sitting on that card as well, like. Please, I did not please. notice. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what I and I, I've always found this with this game. Every game I've ever played of it, if you decide to try and I mean, once someone's hit about twelve points, you can't stop them winning. Like it's not hard by the end of the game to get three points. All so, you're doing yeah. at that point is king making. Yeah, and and like a lot of games that realise king making is no fun, mm. this game tends to punish the kingmaker as much as it punishes the the person they're trying to hit. Their intended victim. Yeah, yeah. and that's. You know, horrible Especially if, with the nature of conflict. Yeah, and it's horrible if you're on the receiving end, but actually it teaches you very quickly not to play like that, which I think is quite good. Um, Interesting. It teaches you to get along. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> but you've, you've, Coexistence. Oh, my God. <laughs> you've reminded me of something else that we talked about in the, in, the, in the last version of this recording we did that I also read in a review that I quite like, We're talking about the race aspect of it. Um, is that this game plays like the first few turns of a game of civilization? Yeah, um, and I really like the way that 
and I, you know, I think I said in that previous version of this recording, um, there's something really neat about the fact that you finish putting your stuff together and you've maybe got three villages and maybe got a bunch of small and early easy techs and it feels like you're just poised to go on to something else and that something else is a different game. <laughs> well, and look, they are looking at expansions. Breaking <laughs> Games are currently working on expansions for this and that's actually that news has come out. Between the recordings. <laughs> between between our two recordings. So. Which is good, which means we don't have to move on to Katana's, the <laughs> follow-up from... <laughs> and again, Look at Malcolm, Malcolm, Malcolm just playing a face. <laughs> so on to the aesthetics. Uh, I might lead off briefly. Um, the first thing I really want to... Call, there's a number of beautiful things going on in this game. There are two things that I want to call out. Um, one is Sergio Chavez's art is stunning Mm, yeah not to mention beautifully representative yeah yeah um from from box lids to boards i think last time we were talking about this you had an issue with the with the tiles themselves Mm. they they feel slightly out of place they're the only component that do and i can't put my finger on why yeah there's something wonderfully stark about the other components yeah they they don't read as stark to me yeah yeah it's possible that the the slightly repetitive nature of the tiles, I think, is more of an issue for mm-hmm. me. In in sort of in that base in the base game, there's up to five tiles of each of the, the land types. Mm-hmm. One of them is different because mm-hmm. one of them has an animal on it, <laughs> and then the other four are all identical. And a little bit more variation would mean that the that that modular island that you create we just have a little bit more variation to it and i can totally get why they do keep it relatively simple because one of the other things that i want to call out is that this game is so wonderfully accessible Mm. even so obviously we've got the the deluxe expansion meeple version with all of the uh the plywood resources Mm. and but the standard version each of the resources, not only do they have the colour element, but to, to, to help or to keep it accessible, each of the resources is a different shape, mm. naturally a different shape. Each of the meeple for the different tribes, so you can have four players, the, 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 the physical shape of my meeple versus one Alice had versus one you had, a different the bow or the spear or the or shield. The, yeah, yeah. Or, or an axe. I, yeah. I, think, that, I, th- I think that that's a brilliant element of uh, to me it's an uh, it's a yes it's a design choice but it's not a yeah. game design choice it's an aesthetics choice i i absolutely love that they've chosen to incorporate accessibility into this or we're projecting that they've incorporated accessibility into yeah it it's an accessible other. game yes. yeah um i look i agree i actually really like that I, I think it's hilarious we didn't discover that element of it until we played without the deluxe components because it so the deluxe components are all little wooden fish and little wooden mountains and little wooden trees um, and wooden mammoths and saber-toothed tigers and they're just great there's even a little wooden vo- volcano but the um the original components are uh, just very very thin kind of white core punch-out cards and they come in squares hexagons and circles yes and when you're playing the game, the icons on the cards, so, you know, you might have the altar which needs three fish and the fish I think is a circle. So the icons for the fish on the altar are all circles but when you're playing with a little wooden fish, you're like, what, this doesn't make sense. And it wasn't until we, took, until we went back to the, to the non-deluxe components that, that that iconography started to make sense to us. So 
it, it's kind of to me there's a there's a tiny element of shame in here. Not you know, it is a bit of a shame. That's what I'm trying to say. It's a tiny bit of a shame. I'm not ashamed. Um, there's a tiny bit of it's a tiny bit of a shame that it's uh, um, you, you have these kind of beautiful wooden components and also these beautiful non-deluxe components. You can't use them both at the same time. And moving to the deluxe components actually takes something a little bit out of the game. There's something very small it takes out of the game, which is that coherence, that design coherence. And I think that's my problem with the tiles. They, the first time we, I saw the game, I remember thinking the colour palette of the resources lines up across the whole game, the colour palette of the, of the you know, you've, you've got these two very different colour registers, the colour palette of the resources, which are kind of brown, blue, green, and then the bright primary colours of the, of the player pieces, which are red, yellow, blue, teal, basically. Um, and, and then you've got these quite vibrant player boards, which have beautiful art on them. And they are kind of a sort of, you know, there'll be some greens and some blues and some purples and some ochres and some all those other different colours. And then you get this kind of, some, somehow for me, the, the particular set of colours and textures in the hexes just didn't click. I don't know why. I can't put my finger on it. They just, they didn't seem to. I will say the more we've played it, the more the whole thing feels like an artistically and an aesthetically coherent package to me. So I don't know what I was originally responding to, but that, they were the one piece that didn't quite click. To go back to your point about the representativeness of the art, I find that really interesting because they sort of d- deliberately stepped around the question of equivalence to real world. Um, I mean, there's someone who's sort of maybe Inuit and there's one that could perhaps be African and then there's another one that's maybe a Viking. And what I find really intriguing about it is we've showed the game to a bunch of different people and almost no two people racially encode the characters the same way. So... I think you and I, Mal, disagreed on whether the Greek guy was Greek or something else. <laughs> I think you said he was Greek and I was like, he looks, he looks, you know, Arabic to me or something like that. There was some... Yeah, or, or, or maybe there was, it was potentially the... There's one that, that I believe is, is sort of more of an Indian... Yeah. ...subcontinental Yeah, that's Indian. the one and I, and I read him as Greek. And then there's, but there's another because... Uh, and then there's another one who um, I think we were reading him as Maori and then we showed it to Tama who is, you know, has Maori heritage and he said that's not... He read it as something completely different. I can't remember what it was. He didn't go, that's not Maori, but he sort of looked at it and read it completely differently. Yeah, that's, that's this thing. Huh? Yeah, so it's, I think there's something interesting in there about, about how you can be incredibly careful to step around race, but you still, like, you can't escape race. And they haven't tried, I don't think. I think they've just gone, let's just put a bunch of signifiers in here, throw the signifiers at the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> and I kind of liked it. Absolutely. I, the art is gorgeous. The um, aesthetic design is, is lovely. I will call out the um, design uh, of the, the insert for <laughs> both the deluxe, com- well, especially the del- deluxe component, which includes, because it's got all these wooden pieces, you don't just put them in little bags. They actually have specifically cut out foam for you to <laughs> specially put them back in, which I find extremely satisfying. Well, it's really hard to get the mammoth out because he's got that big bit of foam between his trunk and his legs. <laughs> yes. Um, so it is, and, and frankly, this would, uh, prior to my encounter with Dice Forge, this was certainly mm-hmm. the best uh, contained mm-hmm. game yeah. in terms of its insert that I'd ever seen. Dice, Dice Forge, Forge is pretty hard to beat. Blows that all out of the yeah. water. But it, it is, 
it is a beautiful package mm. and it is a very nice game to play uh, from that sense. Um, and the representation, I think, is is good in that it doesn't just encompass uh, race in, in inverted commas and culture, but um, the gender split is even as well, mm. which mm. is always a nice thing to see, seeing as it doesn't take any effort. (laughs) This may be something we discuss later in relation to Dice Forge, but (laughs) it is very balanced and representative in that sense and I do like it very much. So final section, enjoyment. Alice. I like this game quite a lot. I have the feeling that I don't like it as much as Malcolm does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's all right. I don't it's... think any of us like it as much as Malcolm <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, look, and, and again, probably the, the, the one thing that, yeah, yeah I, I, the first time I played this, yeah. I bought it so rapidly afterwards it wasn't funny. It's the first game he's ever beat me to buying. <laughs> it's true and that's very difficult it to is. do yep. given how quickly you bought Ordus Regni after we played it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Stay tuned for that episode, boys and girls. Yeah, that's that is going to be a doozy. <laughs> I I appreciate very much all of the the things we've spoken about in this in this episode. Mm. So the incredibly clever, clever design elements, um, playing with that dice mechanic is excellent. Mm. It's it's such a unique really mechanic. Mm-hmm. It's such an interesting way of incorporating player interaction in an indirect way, yep. in such a strategic sort of way. And, and and actually it's really interesting because it it does remind me so much of the upstream, downstream considerations that you get from Azul yeah. um, in a way that no other game ever has for me. I think that I could... And, and it would depend on um, we haven't played with some of the advanced elements a lot mm. and I think that that would affect my um, enjoyment of this in terms of replayability ongoing um, because there is, a, a, as Malcolm mentioned earlier, there is a limit to its depth just simply because you are working with a limited number of variables um so for me there might be a limit to the different tactics or strategies that I can apply in order to uh in order to win um or in order to not necessarily win but feel like I was playing the game well hmm. but that doesn't mean that I don't enjoy it it's it's great for such a quick game yeah. it is nice to have a game that you know you can you know bang out in less than an hour and it's definitely less than an hour. I think we played it in what 35, yeah, 45 minutes like this yeah. evening, something yeah. like about, that. Like about it was 40, I think. And it yeah. was and and it was, you know, it was even a game where we were getting clogged in some of the dice. So yeah. yeah. It's funny, I was walking home from work tonight thinking, Oh, I can't play a game, I'm so tired. And we sat down and we chatted for a bit and I was like, oh, I've just really got to steal myself for this. And then we started playing it and two turns in, I was like, this is great. And it's it's interesting, having to re-record this episode means that we haven't picked this game up in probably two months. Yeah. And, it you know, normally we try and 
accelerate the, the the schedule for games we're about to talk about for obvious reasons. This, I think, I think this has made me realise tonight has made me realise that this is a really great game that that can survive not playing it for two months. We the only rule I forgot was actually me remembering a rule that I hadn't earned yet, which was the swapping yeah, the card the, out yeah. with the village, yeah. right? Um, that's the only rule that I forgot. And to be perfectly honest, when we first started playing, it was the first rule that we made a mistake on yeah. because we weren't playing it. We're like, oh, wait, there's this thing here that we're allowed yeah. to do. I can't think of many other games that I've put down for that length of time and haven't had to go back to the rule book to figure out how to play. I can't think of many games where I've remembered the kind of strategic space of the game so quickly after two months. I mean, yeah, maybe root but not really like i think the only reason i remember that is because i had to teach so many people how to play it um whereas this i've never had to teach anyone i just i've just played it and played it enough it's great like you know looking at the looking at the the kind of games i can see from where i'm sitting um i'd have to be reminded how to play seven wonders uh maybe settlers but i played it close to a thousand times so of course um takanoko i had to look up the rules the second or third time i played it after having having had him put it down for a few times so there's something there's something marvellous about about Rise of Tribes and um, the fact that you can pick it up again so quickly after a break, the fact that it took my Monday night mood and obliterated it. Um, you know, a bit of sugar didn't hurt either. But actually it was the game. The game's exciting. It's fun. You can sink your teeth into it. Um, it's a really – in terms of enjoyment, it's a really great game. Yeah. I have kind of – not kind of completely agree mm-hmm. – um, the fact that no, I I haven't played it since we we last recorded, and all I had to to double check mm. was given that I'm the player going third, do I get one resource of my or choice two. or two? <laughs> yeah. Right. Other than that, everything about it is so straightforward mm. and coherent. Yes, yeah. and it it actually makes it relatively easy to teach as well, which yeah. I quite like because it means that hey, as someone who loves this game, I can get to share that love relatively easily. Um, which is which is wonderful. This the the base version of the game, the version that we played tonight, with with none of the the complexity of elders or leader powers, with none of the complexity of some of the variable spaces, is so quick and simple that you could have played a two hour version of something, be feeling a little bit over games, and you could knock out. 30 to 40 minute game of Rise of Tribes mm. and actually feel kind of energized again. Yeah. Because whilst there is the uh, uh, this interesting evolving tactical space that that we talked about a moment ago, it all comes from a relatively uh, I have to use the word elegant <laughs> an elegantly put together <laughs> set of mechanics. Your um, favorite word, man. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to use it, but it doesn't matter. I am. I'm um, a sweater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I will quite happily keep bringing this game to the table. It's a game that I'll happily bring to the table if a bunch of people are like the at the board game sessions we have on a, on a monthly basis where you'll have a couple of people playing this game, a couple of people playing that game, and, and as everyone's getting well, as one game finishes, people go, man, what can we play next? They haven't finished yet. It's like, well, I can teach you this, and in the time it will take me to teach and play, We'll probably still beat them. And what's nice about it is 
it sounds to anyone who's come across this rather pejorative term that we're, that we're describing this game as filler. It's not filler. No. That's what I really like about no. it. It's not, you know, it's not a game. Well, Munchkin's not filler because it takes four hours. But, you know, <laughs> it's not It's not like a kind of Shea Geek kind of game where you're just putting cards down and going whatever the hell, it doesn't matter. Like there's, there's thought to this and it's, yeah. I don't know. If I had to give it a score out of five, I'd give it five tiny purple rampaging invaders <laughs> out of five. <laughs> The, the only thing that I would, would finish with, uh, and I think it's a maybe a recommendation for people who might want to pick this game up, who are interested after having listened to this, is, uh, and I can't now for the life of me find where I read this, but one of the reviews I read mentioned this as an excellent post-gateway game, <laughs> which I thought was was really interesting and really clever. So, you know, once, <laughs> once once you've you've had your introduction to the world that is board games beyond Monopoly and Game of Life, you which are usually things like Settlers of Catan and Ticket to Ride, this actually is an excellent next Mm. level of game that isn't it, it's not your typical euro it's it's not your typical anything but it's it's taking you to the next level of strategy and the next level of interaction and showing you what what modern board games are and and I thought thought that was a really um excellent and also it would be a good gateway game as well but <laughs> uh, hey guys I think that pretty much does this for, for this episode. Thank you for um, thank you for playing Rise of Tribes with me this evening and letting me win for the first time. <laughs> I don't know about letting you. <laughs> <laughs> but look, in 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 the, you know, the two episodes, the two other episodes we've recorded so far, each time I have had my butt handed to me. Like, <laughs> Bar, bar none. So, well, this is your favourite game. But, so. Yes. <laughs> it, was, it, it, was, it was nice to I get I was distracting Nick for you. Oh. So I was bringing all the attention to myself. So he tried to stop me winning and I let you shoot past on well, the inside I, lane. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> totally deliberate. Uh, but, guys, thanks for sitting down and, and talking Rise of Tribes with me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank See you next time. Thank you very much. That's it for our episode on Rise of Tribes. Check out the show notes for links to more information on the game as well as our social media accounts. We'll be back in a month with our next episode. And in the meantime, if you've enjoyed this episode of Is It My Turn, please head over to iTunes or wherever you source your podcasts to subscribe, share or leave us a review. Thanks so much for listening. Let's play again soon.